It's not just time to get away. It's time to travel with Anita. From around the world to across Georgia, she covers it all. Now, here's the host of Travel with Anita, Anita Thomas. Hello, 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 and welcome aboard Travel with Anita and Friends. Now, some of you may have traveled with someone in your family or maybe a friend who is aging, and you want them to have the best experience possible, to have fun, be comfortable, and most of all, have things to do that are accessible and convenient for them to enjoy. Now, today's show is all about planning travel for our aging family members, or maybe these tips and suggestions today will also be helpful for you, too, to plan and to organize a memorable trip for yourself. Now, travel today is more and more about multi-generational, meaning grandparents are coming along with uh, their children and their children's children with their grandkids to have a family getaway. And also, more and more, people are also doing what is called gap travel, which refers to grandparents and grandchildren or older family members and younger children in the family having a chance to explore on their own. Now, this is all good news. However, there are a few things to consider to ensure that aging travelers are getting the most from their vacations. And another thing, too, about aging is that sometimes it can make you feel a little lonely, like you're, you know, they're all by yourself. So I asked my friend Shelly Webb to share some tips and ideas for traveling as we age to make sure that you're not feeling left alone, isolated, and things like that. We want to get our aging family and friends out and about. So Shelly is an aging specialist working with women 50 plus to help them live healthy and healthy lives. Isolation is a huge problem in the aging. Mm -hmm. And travel can be really good, a good way to take that isolation away. You know, if you don't travel with a friend, you could actually meet one there. And people should look at things in that manner, I think, as they age. You may not have a travel mm-hmm. companion, but it's very easy to meet people when you travel and develop those friendships and find like-minded people that you can do things with on your tour, on your cruise, whichever way you are traveling. There are other people out there that you really can bond with and develop those friendships. So as you're aging, you shouldn't think that the loneliness that I have at home by being by myself is the same thing that you would experience traveling. Exactly, right. But now, as you age and need assistance, how do you keep that attitude of independence, though? Because that, I would think, would be kind of challenging. I mean, if you're in a wheelchair or if you need walking assistance with a cane or with a walker, you may feel a little intimidated by that and feel as though, well, if no one can go with me, I really shouldn't venture out on, on this trip by myself. I, I think that's not true. <laughs> um, we have to step out of our comfort zone in a lot of areas of life, and this is just another one of those. And if we plan ahead, we can still do it with quite a bit of ease. Right, exactly. <laughs> now, Shelly, do you have uh, some ideas and things like that for like family members and how they can be supportive of seniors and elderly um, relatives as, as they're aging to help them maybe stay active? And as I mentioned, we're going to get into some real deep tips, but what's your thoughts about that? I mean, do family members and relatives have some responsibility in keeping people active and taking a role in that? Sure, they do. Um, sometimes it requires some encouragement of family members to go out and do things. They can be supportive by helping uh, to arrange the trip. For instance, 
um, you can call ahead and have airlines um, personnel help with your loved one and so that you won't be left in the airport. I was left in the airport and went to buy myself with all my luggage and my dad trying to figure out how do I get to the taxi. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so if you uh, request help ahead of time, that's always a good idea. Yes, yes, yes. So we're going to talk about that tip in a little bit more detail because that is really key that you can't think that you can do it all on your own because it's a lot different when you're kind of sitting and planning that trip and when you're out there actually making it come to life. But now I know you talk about the caregiver role, but in that role in the aging process, I think the caregivers sometimes, too, we need to check in on them. True. Yes, uh, caregivers are really overburdened, and people often forget about them. They'll actually ask, you know, how the loved one is doing, but forget about the caregiver. And caregiving's rough, and they are also often isolated because it's difficult for them to get out. Mm. And what effect did that kind of have on the on the caregiver then, being isolated like that? I mean, uh, probably the loss of friends and things like that as well. Because people are always wanting you to do things, but you're always busy. Right. Um, you also have a lot of guilt about leaving the person behind, mm-hmm. the one you're caring for, in order to get out. So, yeah, a lot of depression, a lot of loss of friends. What about cruising for seniors? Because, you know, cruising has kind of a different feel to it than those land tours would have. That's for sure. Um I think cruising is a good way for seniors to travel because you have only, you know, one stop for your luggage. It all goes into your room. And even though you're going to different ports, you don't have to pack and unpack. You can put it all in there, and um, it's much less awkward. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I know. You unpack, and then you're there, especially if you have one of those cruises where you're maybe cruising for a little over a week. I really like those. Not quite two weeks. A little more than one week. I really like those because you get in a lot of destinations. And like you said, you're not packing, unpacking, moving from this place to that place, as can be the case in some of the land tours. But, you know, something else, you know, that I really like about the cruise as well, the cruise idea, is that a lot of the cruises, especially river cruising, really caters to the senior population because a lot of the excursions and things that they have planned People are ready for that age group. So a lot of the activities are centered around that. There might be some biking, light walking, um, long excursions, so to speak, so that you can have time to explore, but then also time to take a little bit of a break. So those are really good as well. Yes, those are great for seniors. (laughs) But now one of the things we haven't touched on, I think we really need to, and that is really if there are any health conditions, because there is aging, but then there's aging and chronic health conditions. And those two could be a little different in terms of the way we approach travel. So any thoughts about sort of people who are traveling maybe with chronic conditions or things like that? Sure. Um, People with chronic conditions or even any kind of a condition should have their doctor write something up for them that, you know, it just explains what condition they have, what their medications are, just in case anything happens, you can hand that right over to a hospital or whatever. Um, you should also have all your medications written down anyways and their their doses. And those medications should be put in your carry-on bag if you're on a flight 
or in a separate bag if you're um, just carrying multiple pieces of luggage. But also one thing that people forget is if you're traveling between a border, you need to keep those medications in their containers. A lot of um, seniors will put them in those little seven-day compartments. Mm. You can't really do that because people the border needs to check on the medications themselves. You know, and some different countries, um, certain medications are illegal in one country and not illegal in another. So you need to know that ahead of time as well. That is so, so true. And you can check with your public health department. Also, the CDC may be able to answer those questions. And certainly your physician and your pharmacist can be helpful with that as well. But you don't want to have any snafus. You're so right with that, Shelley. When you are going across borders with medications, because you need your medications, first of all, (laughs) but then you don't want it to be considered some type of criminal action that you're taking part in by bringing medication over, you know, over a border. So we need to put a ding, ding, ding by that one, because (laughs) that is very, very important. (laughs) All those things around medication, because you really do need your medications there. I'm always saying you got to get travel insurance. You got to get travel insurance. But people are usually thinking that's to cover any type of cancellations of their trip and that type thing. But there's also medical coverage that you can get with that as well. That's really important, too, because a lot of insurance policies now, they will give you, you know, 80 percent coverage in your home state or your home country and maybe only 40 or 50 percent if you're out of network. So Mm. that's a big consideration. You really want to carefully look over the coverage for unforeseen emergencies that you think you might have or maybe some that you've had in the past. But also, too, you want to also think about the transportation back home, because if you get sick, especially internationally, so that is really, really important. And the other thing, too, is that they will take care of a lot of the arrangements of that as well. I'll stop here. And when I come back, I'll continue my conversation with Shelley. You're on Travel with Anita and Friends. Whether it's the holiday season or a special occasion trip, or maybe you're ready to explore traveling with aging family and friends, consider a few extra steps along the way. Welcome back to Travel with Anita. I'm talking with my friend Shelly Webb, a senior aging expert who works with women over 50 to help them stay active, healthy, and living their best lives. And as Shelly and I talk, all of our comments and tips are not just ideas for women over 50, but also men. They're great tips for us all. So let's jump back in with my conversation with Shelly. Hey, guys, take some notes because we have lots of tips. Help seniors actually travel, stay active, and do it in a way where it would be productive, successful, and also comfortable and fun. We better add that part to it, Shelly, because the whole purpose of traveling is to have fun as well. Exactly, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk a, a little bit about some of these tips that we can give to folks because I always say that there's, you know, the planning of the trip where you have the glossy uh, brochures out that are talking about the destination. You're like, oh my, that would be so wonderful to travel there. <laughs> but then you're there and you're like, right. well, I didn't realize the hotel was going to be, you know, so far. I didn't realize there were so many steps that I would have to walk up and down. So let's talk a little bit about what the first step is. I say plan for your trip with a travel professional. Right. That's always a great idea because they know the cities much better than we do and much better than the brochures might describe them. Exactly. And you do have to make sure you don't choose a hotel with a bunch of steps. That will not work. 
That would not work. And the other thing about hotels, too, you want to choose one that maybe is centrally located so that you're close to the major attractions. You can easily get your Uber and your taxi. And also, too, maybe if you need a midday break, it's easy to get back to the hotel in the middle of the day. Right. That's a good point, a midday break. You shouldn't try and um, plan too many activities, especially as you age or if you're having um, a loved one with you. Right. I always say there's no need to try and, and pack all of the adventures and activities into one day on one vacation. Spread it out a bit or maybe even spread it out over multiple vacations because you don't also have to try and do it all in one vacation. True. And, you know, since we're talking about activities, what about those senior discounts? Senior discounts are great, but they need to be researched a little bit because sometimes you want to check the senior discount price with the price on some of the other websites because they can actually be a little bit more sometimes. Oh, that's a really good point. I didn't think about that because there are a lot of websites out there that offer coupons for, for different attractions and different things to do around, around the destination. Right. But senior discounts are great. I'm learning that too. <laughs> <laughs> I know, me as well. But it seems like they keep pushing the, the age up a little bit for, the, for those discounts. <laughs> so someone has right. called on that a lot of people are using those, but still a good, a good idea. But now, um, what about families traveling with the older family member? You think that's a good idea? It's not always possible, but if if possible, what do you think about that? Yeah, if possible, it's a great idea. Um, I once um, had my father on a flight, and it was not a nonstop flight. That was another mistake. (laughs) Um, And even though we had talked to the airlines ahead of time, he was left in the middle of the airport and didn't know what to do. He kept waiting for someone to come help and he ended up missing his flight and had to stay overnight there. Wow. So it is a good idea if you can travel with your aging loved one. Yeah, and you mentioned um, not a nonstop flight. I would think that that is definitely something we would want to do is book that nonstop flight. I mean, I like nonstop flights just in general, if at all possible, because you get on the airplane, you get off at your destination. But what are some other reasons for maybe taking that nonstop flight? Well, it's less tiring, of course, and as we age, we may not be able to run across the airport. (laughs) They were, we have like a flight out of Chicago, that's a big airport, Mm -hmm. and Sometimes you're running from one side of the airport to the other, and we might not be able to get there as fast. That's true, because you have to take into consideration there might be some delays. And I know I have run through my share of airports in in my lifetime trying to make those connecting flights. And first of all, it's no fun, but you do have to have that energy to do that. I'm not real sure I can do that at this point. (laughs) (laughs) I'm talking with my friend, Shelly Webb, about aging and travel and how we need to make sure that we, as we age, stay active. But also, if we have aging parents or aging relatives, that we help keep them active. Now, Shelly, we're talking about flying, so I want to ask another little thing, what you think about this, and that is the time of day that you book your flight. I always say maybe late morning or early afternoon because those times don't seem to be quite as rushed. I guess it depends on the time of the year, of course, but generally speaking, those times don't seem to be quite as rushed as maybe the morning flights. What, what are your thoughts about that with seniors? Right, I think that's a great idea. I think, you know, some seniors have difficulty getting up early in the morning anyways. And then if we have to rush, try to get the airport on time, we could um, make it more stressful and we may forget things at home. So, Mm. you know, the more hours we have to gather things together that might not go well or right, um, the better it is. And then not too late 
in the day either because seniors can run out of energy um, and they might need a nap. And so that could not work out for the best either. And that's a really good point because the time of day also, too, we have to keep in mind how long that flight is and what time they would be arriving as well. So that's a really good point as well. Now, we are talking, talking, talking about traveling by by flight, but by car mm-hmm. also, too, is another way that we can really have a lot of opportunities to get our relatives that are aging and get ourselves out as well as we age by car, going to places that are not so far away because staying active doesn't have to be some grand vacation that you've been planning for a long time. It could be a trip just somewhere in the city or somewhere in the state. So travel by car, any kind of thoughts about that? Traveling by car is good because there's always sites along the way that you can stop and look at. It's also a a good idea to know where the rest areas are and try to stop at those. A lot of the rest areas in some of the states are are handicap accessible now and they have better restrooms than they used to have. Um, And so take advantage of those rather than gas stations where they might not have handicap accessible facilities. Very, very good good point. And definitely, because some people I know really kind of plan out that journey. And if you're one of those people that's a big planner in, in terms of that, plan for those stops because everyone needs to stand and stretch and take those nature breaks. But the elderly, you definitely want to keep that blood flowing and have an opportunity for them to stand, stretch their legs and, and then get back in the car and be ready to go. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> now, we talked a little bit uh, earlier about choosing accommodations, and, we, and I think we both agree that, you know, the location of that accommodation, whether it is a hotel or Airbnb is really popular nowadays. Keep in mind, you know, the different things that the person might need. Stairs, do they need um, an elevator because of so many stairs, where the, the hotel is located, those type things. Any other thoughts yes. on that? I mean, most hotels have elevators now, so that's always good. But what we forget about is the entrance to the hotel. Can we get in? You mm-hmm. know, if you've got knee problems, you have to go up 20 stairs. That's not going to be good. Or also, um, I just read that about 70% of people over age 63 have vertigo mm. or some kind of vertigo. So the dizziness, going upstairs when you're dizzy, not fun. Not fun at all. Not fun at all. <laughs> <laughs> you're absolutely right about that. These are all great tips and ideas from Shelly. So check out her website, theintentionalcaregiver.com. And there you'll find a lot more information on how you can also make sure that as you age, you're staying in great shape. And if you're a caregiver, she has some really great tips for helping yourself stay, stay healthy and not so stressed out and taking care of family members. Now, as we go back to and think about some of all the different tips, you know, go back and listen to this. You can do that by going to my website, travelwithanita.com where I have all of my shows archived and you can hear all of this information again because I did say take notes but if you didn't take notes you can listen to the show again and also pick up some tips on other things as well because multi-generational travel is a big deal now people are traveling with the whole family and we're trying to make up for some of that time when we missed our families a couple of years ago and gap travel is a new big thing as well where grandparents and grandkids are going together so they might need a few more tips on how to navigate and how to, you know, make things less stressful when you are traveling together. So I'm going to stop here. And when we come back, we're going to talk about doing some things close to home, some things that you can do with aging, aging family members. So back in a few minutes here on Travel with Anita and Friends. Travel 
Travel isn't always about how far you go, but about how much fun you want to have with family and friends. Welcome back to Travel with Anita and Friends. Mountain State Parks offer a wide variety of opportunities for multi-generational travel, and that's travel where the whole family comes along, grandparents, parents, and their children. Three generations having fun together, and our state parks are the perfect opportunity to make those fun times come alive. I talked with one of my favorite guests of the show, Kim Hatcher from Georgia State Parks, about great ideas for your next getaway. Not too far, right here, close by. Let's talk about the state parks, but I'd really like to know how many parks are there, and can you tell us a little bit about the acreage and how many sites and just things like that about the parks? Sure. Well, the Georgia State Park System is operated by the Department of Natural Resources, and so we've got 64 state parks and state historic sites. And the good thing about it is we cover more than 84,000 acres. So there are so many places to get out and get fresh air, get some exercise, um, just, you know, work your body, soothe your mind. You know, I tell people that nature nurtures, and so we really have a lot to offer within the park system. Well, yeah, because I think a lot of times people think that state park, that means, okay, there might be some water there, but it's more for fishing, and I can do a lot of hiking on the trails, but the state parks here in Georgia offer other things as well. Yeah, we we definitely have a wide variety. We have a lot of trails, of course, for hiking, and some of them are very easy. You could take kids with you easily. We have ADA trails. Um, Some of them are more difficult, challenging, uh, long-distance hiking trails, so Uh, everything that you want there. You can go biking on some of our trails. We have swimming beaches on several lakes. We have boat ramps and fishing. Uh, We have camping and cabins, golf courses. There's really a wide variety of things that you can do in the the state parks. Now, are the trails marked so I can, you know, kind of know if this one might be a little too much for me or, you know, advanced trails or just how, how how do the trails work? Yeah, that's the nice thing about it. I think we make it easy for people, especially if you're going somewhere you've never been before. We do have trail maps on our website, which is gastateparks.org, or you can look at trail maps once you get to the park. Um, They'll show you the distances, and in many cases, we have descriptions of them. Um, You can look around online, and and um, it's called blazed. You know, if you're used to hiking, you you know that you follow blazes, which are color um, either paint marks or chips that are on the trees as you go along. So um, we definitely tell people, stay on the trail, follow the blazes, and you'll be fine. And you'll be fine. <laughs> but now let's talk a little bit about the museums, because some of the state parks also have museums. That's true. Yeah, we have several state historic sites. So Dahlonega Gold Museum mm-hmm. is, is a good example. Um, a lot of people think that the gold rush started in California, but it actually started here in Georgia. Um, so you can learn all about that and in fact their museum was renovated a couple of years ago so if if, um, any listeners have not been in a while now would be a good time to go. Um, There's also a fairly new historic site in northeast Georgia called Hardman Farm and have have you ever been driving around in the Salty Nacoochee area and you've seen that Indian mound that has the white gazebo and the black and white cows all around it? Oh, uh, no, I don't think I have seen that, no. It, it's near Helen, and so for a lot of people, it's a landmark, and, and some people don't even notice that there's this beautiful big house across the street and a really large barn, and um, it, a lot of history there, and in fact, Anna Ruby was a real person. She lived in that house, and a lot of people have heard of Anna Ruby Falls, mm-hmm. so there's an interesting connection there as well. 
Well, that well, that sounds like one I'll put on my list for you know my adventures. You've talked about the Yerks before, and I still can't have not come and tried one of the Yerks, so I'm going to pick that on my list as well. Yeah, they're a, they're a lot of fun. We call them glamping, and so um, it, they're these round cam canvas and wooden structures that have locking doors, and there's furniture inside, you know, futons inside, but on the outside is a picnic table and a grill. And um, you can have s'mores, you can cook out. So it's kind of like your own little campsite. And a lot of them have really pretty views and back porches. I really like the yurts that are at Tugelo State Park, which is in Northeast Georgia. Um, they, they're they just kind of nicely spaced without uh, throughout the woods, very pretty. Fort Yargo has some yurts that have back porches and you can sit there and have your coffee and look at the lake. So th those are a, um, an affordable way to stay overnight within the parks. <laughs> well, it sounds great. So, you know, when I think about going to a state park, I mean, I love going for a day trip, but staying overnight is always fun. And you mentioned the Yerks, you mentioned cap, uh, camping, but there's also the opportunity to stay in some cabins at some of your, your parks as well. Can you tell us a little bit about your cabin experiences? Sure. We actually have a pretty wide variety of cabins, um, anyway, from anywhere from small efficiencies in one bedroom up to three bedrooms. And, um, one thing that I really like is the history in some of the cabins. So at Vogel State Park or F.D. Roosevelt State Park, some of those are the original cabins that were built by the CCC back in the 30s. But of course, they've been updated on the inside, but um, there's a really interesting history there. Um, we've done several renovations over the past few years. In fact, we just opened some gorgeous new cabins at Red Top Mountain State Park on Lake Alatoona. Oh, wow. They're so pretty. And and the ones at Fort Mountain up in the Cahuta, uh, kind of near the Cahuta Wilderness in the middle of the North Georgia mountains, beautiful cabins at Fort Mountain, um, Hard Labor Creek State Park, which is in Rutledge near Social Circle. They have renovated cabins. Um, and uh, a lot of people ask us about bringing their pets. Yeah. So our campsites are dog friendly. And our cabins, every park that does have cabins has at least one, sometimes more, that are dog friendly. So you can make a reservation where you can bring your pet. Are reservations always needed for camping, the yurks, as well as the cabins? I highly recommend making a reservation in advance, um, even if you're coming during the weekday. The good thing is we take them up to 13 months in advance. So wow. you can start planning now for this October or for next summer or next spring. Um, you could go ahead and grab the one that you like, and they're site-specific reservations, too. So if you have been going to, say, campsite number 64 at uh, Vogel State Park every single year, and that's the one you love the best, you can actually reserve a specific site in advance. Well, that's good to know. You can pick your favorite and kind of stick with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's so much variety. Like Victoria Bryant State Park is in northeast Georgia, and um, just not that many people know about it. They have really nice hiking trails. Um, their campground has these really cool wooden platforms that you can put your tent on, and they kind of stick out a little bit over the sloped uh, wooded mountainside. So um, Victoria Bryant's an interesting place to go camping. And where, where is that one located? It is in northeast Georgia. Okay. I have, I have not been to that one either, but that sounds like that would be a neat experience. Yeah, it, it's a nice, nice campground, and they have this creek, this little rocky, shallow creek that kids tend to play in a lot and cool off in the summer. Um, they also have a golf course 
several of our parks do have very nice golf courses. Mm -hmm. um, so you could also, you know, older, older family members can go play golf while the younger ones go play in the stream. <laughs> and again, that's what makes uh, our state park so nice is because the family can go and everyone can have their thing to do that's their favorite or discover something new even and everybody can have fun and you mentioned though about the reservation so is there a website or how do we go about making a reservation you can go to gastateparks.org mm -hmm. or you can call 1-800-864-PARK which is 7275 they can help you with a reservation they can also mail um, a free brochure we have a guide to Georgia State Parks that has uh, lots of pretty color photos mm -hmm. um, I encourage people to go to the website and just click around people are always so surprised when they see our map that shows the location of these 64 properties um, and then when you click each parks page like Victoria Bryant which is in the town of Royston you can see their photo gallery so you can see those platform campsites that I was talking about you can see the golf course um, so it's it's I really recommend that people poke around the website a little bit and discover a new getaway well yeah you bring up a really good point I mean that really is the best way to find a new park or learn about even more things that you thought you knew about a park that you've gone to before maybe you can find out something new because the website is really great for that because you do as you mentioned click onto each individual park's website and you can really learn so much about it and see exactly what the things are that you can do there so that, that's a great resource start planning the Georgia State Parks have the welcome sign out and I believe your name is on it check them out I'll be back in a few minutes here on Travel with Anita and Friends and we'll talk about national parks national parks are the crown jewels of our nation. They show the beauty of our country and we get a chance to explore and experience it all in a natural, pristine way. Welcome back to Travel with Anita and Friends. Now I'm always ready to explore one of our national parks, but there are so many of them. So choosing one or making a long list of parks to visit is not always the easiest thing to do. So I asked Allison Johnson to tell us about visiting the parks and which parks are the best for seniors to visit. You know, most of the parks have really great accessibility and guides that will help seniors visit. If you want to go someplace that's really beautiful and scenic, Acadia National Park in Maine is wonderful. They have a lot of really accessible pathways. They have beaches, they have um, forest hikes and trails. They also have a free shuttle service to get around that makes it very easy for seniors. Another favorite is Sleeping Bear Dunes National Lake Shore in Michigan. They have a lot of accessibility terrain, but they also have a really great program that allows you to explore the parks with a lot of different assistant devices, whether that's an audio tour, whether it's great um, pamphlets to help you explore the park. And also it's a motorboat free lake. And so it's very quiet and peaceful. And I think it's one that seniors would really enjoy. Now, can you do RV at either one of those? And if not, what's a good one for RV? It seems like everyone wants to take their RV these days. <laughs> yes, yeah, Sleeping Bear Dunes has some RV campgrounds that you can look at. There's also really, a, a lot of the parks have great RV sites, maybe not directly in the national park, but nearby, Yosemite National Park, Yellowstone National Park, Great Smoky Mountains in Tennessee has great RVing. One thing I would tell people to keep in mind, whether you're RVing or tent camping, is look to the park website very far in advance and find out what the permit requirements are and how far in advance you need to get them. 
In our book, The Complete Guide to the National Parks, we recommend timeframes for camping permits because a lot of the more popular parks, you actually have to book almost a year in advance to get a camping spot. So you just want to plan your trip accordingly and not show up expecting there to be a spot ready for you. I know that could be very, very disappointing. And while we're on that topic too, what about pets? Because I always say the same thing with bringing pets. You definitely want to double check and make sure pets are allowed in the park that you want to visit. Yeah, most of the national parks actually don't allow pets. And so it's a part of the preservation process, making sure you're not impacting the wildlife that exists in the parks. Also keeping your pets safe from the wildlife that's already at these parks. But the state parks, the national recreation areas, the national lake shores, those might be more dog and pet friendly. And so definitely look in advance for those because there's different rules with every park. And some parks have certain trails that are pet friendly and certain ones that are not. So be mindful of those signs too. It's all about the planning, right? All about the planning. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, you know, seniors also too like to get those annual passes. Is that a good idea or just a one-time ticket? What's best for, for seniors? Definitely annual passes are the way to go. You're going to save some money doing that, especially if you want to visit more than one park in a year. If you're just going to one park every year, One park entry is fine, but if you want to hit a bunch at once, especially if you're doing a road trip, let's say you want to go to Utah and hit all five parks in one big trip, the annual pass will get you there in an affordable way. And it's also worthwhile if you want spur of the moment trips to a park to already have passes and get entry in. Well, you know, some people also like to go solo, but even if you're not going solo, I always say you need to think about safety tips. And I share a lot of safety tips on my show, but now that I have you, Allison, on, tell us a few of your safety tips for visiting, Um, not only just, you know, keeping yourself safe, but you mentioned the wildlife too. So what about engaging with wildlife safety tips as well? Yeah, I think one of the best things to keep in mind when you're in a park is you're in the wildlife's home. You're in their territory. So be mindful of that while you're there. Don't interact with the wildlife. Do not feed the wildlife. Do not try to touch the wildlife. Definitely give everything that it's distance and also leave no trace behind. Pick up your trash. Don't don't leave food behind. You don't want to impact their life. And heed signs. Listen to the park rangers. You know, one of the things you'll hear when you're visiting Yellowstone, for instance, is the first thing they tell you when you get on a hiking trail, make sure you have bear spray. It's not that you're in danger. You just want to be cautious and you want to be safe while you're there. So just listen to the park rangers, make sure you check in at the visitor center so that they know you're there. They can give you their tips and tricks and they will guide you to the best safety precautions in that particular park. Uh, that work planning's coming up again. You definitely want to check all of <laughs> out before you go. And, you know, something I recently found out too, Allison, is that some of the foods that we think of foods we want to share with wildlife, like apples and things like that, apples, carrots, some of those can endanger their health because they're not accustomed to eating that. So when you, yeah, you know what, you're not. <laughs> Yeah, they have their own diets and they've been living for years and years on these diets. And our food, what we think is natural fruits, vegetables, is not something that grows in their land. And so when you introduce a new food, you're one changing their eating patterns and potentially introducing a food that's harmful to their systems. Exactly. We don't want to do that. Definitely don't want to do that. Now, what are, are your favorite national parks? You have some favorites? I do have some favorites. So I live in Northern Virginia, right outside DC. And one of my favorites is actually just an hour down the road, Shenandoah National Park, especially this time of year when the leaves are changing. It's just a beautiful drive over 
the Shenandoah, Shenandoah National Forest. There's Luray Caverns nearby. So that's a really great spot to take young kids and families as well. So you get caves, you get forests, you get some hiking and waterfalls in. It's absolutely stunning. And this time of year, again, is the perfect time to visit. Well, you know, we're talking about that too, you know, let's go back a little bit. We're talking about seniors and, and their choices. Are there some parks that are a little bit more ability friendly, meaning that, you know, maybe more accessible for someone who may need to walk with some assistance or even with wheelchairs? Yeah, there. you know, the National Park System is doing a really great job about making the parks more accessible. One of my favorites um, that they've recently done is Carlsbad Caverns. And you wouldn't necessarily think that a cave system would be accessible, but now there's an elevator that takes people down 750 feet underground. What? And there's a mile of paved trails within the what they call the big room, which is a giant cave chamber. So you can, wow. you can walk easily in that part of the cave. You can take a wheelchair. Mammoth Cave similarly has a wheelchair accessible tour that they offer two times a day. And so those are great national parks that I don't don't think most people would realize are so accessible, but even great sand dunes in Colorado, I don't think people would think Sandy makes it accessible, but it has really become so they have sand wheelchairs that you can rent that have inflatable tires that make navigating the dunes easier. Wheel wheelchair friendly picnic sites and even campsites that are accessibility friendly. So there are a lot of efforts to make these parks more accessible, even in places that you wouldn't expect. And I love that about our park system. I love that too. That's such great information to share because I think if people don't know that and they're not aware, they will shy away from going to the parks. And it's such a great opportunity and experience to get out in the fresh air and out in nature and have those experiences. So that's really good news. Double thumbs up on that one. <laughs> <laughs> now let's go back to the book because you mentioned that. So tell us a little bit about the book so we can get a copy of it. I know all the parks are in there. It's got to be great photos and everything. Uh, so I have a copy of it and I can tell you it really is a page turner to just see the pictures and read about all the parks. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, you know, the complete parks to the national, the complete guide to the national parks is actually our third edition. So it's our most updated park guide. And it includes parks that were added as recently as 2020, 2021. And it guides you to all 400 sites within the park system. So it's our 63 national parks, plus historic landmarks, plus national recreation areas, plus national seashores and everything in between. And it's divided region by region throughout the country. And then within each region, you can find a map that shows you where all these parks are. So you can plan a road trip. You can plan to visit all of them in one year. And then it's divided state by state. So if you're looking, if you're on, a, you have a weekend and you have no plans, open this book to your state and find the park that's right in back, your backyard, because there is going to be something that's just Perfect. a short drive away. And, you know, we got to go back to that annual pass because that book will definitely have you going and buying that annual pass so you can so you can check out a lot of them and definitely make sure you do that. But now what's, will. <laughs> well, what's the website, Allison, so that uh, people can start planning? <laughs> Yeah, you know, they can always find information in the book at nationalgeographic.com. And they can also buy the book wherever books are sold, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and use this as your planning starter and always check out the National Park Service for more information too. And what's that website for the National Park Service? NPS.org. That's it. I'm ready to go. You got me all geared up, but I need to get an RV because that's what I want to do. I want to RV to the parks. <laughs> it's a great way to see them all. <laughs> it sounds like it. Thank you so much, Allison. I appreciate you coming on and sharing all this great information. Thank you for having me.
So let's go and check out our national parks and plan a multi-generational getaway. Maybe to the state parks or national parks or cruise. All of those things that we've talked about today with great tips and steps to make sure that it's stress-free and that it's convenient for everyone. Because when we're taking our aging family and friends along, we want to make sure they're having a great time in an easy, stress-free way. So thanks for joining me today. I'll see you in two weeks with another great destination. You're on Travel with Anita and Friends. Bye-bye.